0: We're turning back to Exodus chapter 15 that we read earlier. Entitled the message, Bitter Made Sweet. Bitter Made Sweet. Just let us unite our hearts. We were to prayers. as we come to the preaching of God's Word. Father, we thank Thee this morning for the One who bore all our sins on the tree. We thank the Lord for the One who is co-eternal with the Father. My Lord, my love is crucified. We thank Thee, Lord, we're in a church today that preaches Christ and Him crucified. And once for all, sacrifice for sin has been wrought and finished upon Mount Calvary. We pray, Lord, that Thou would teach us. O oh God, that would bless us as we come now to this passage. Thank Thee for the help in the reading. Give us understanding of it. Lord, I pray that Thou would... Cause our hearts to be open and receptive to the message that Thou would have us to deliver. I pray to that end that Thou would, Lord, give us every word for Myself. Any words that must and shall prevail. Even, Lord, a little word for the children, the young people, the older alike. Oh God, that Thou would come and just be one of our number. Bless us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Children of Israel had just crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And God had given them a great deliverance. They were no longer slaves to the taskmasters that were found in the land of Egypt. Now they were on resurrection ground, so to speak. They were on the other side. And there's a bursting forth, of course, into song. And there's a bursting forth into praise. For all that the Lord had done for them and for all that he would yet do for them in time to come. But men and women, they couldn't stay there. And that's why we read of Moses and he gets them on the road in verse 22. He's bringing them on the way. And so it is in the Christian life. We must not be taken up with uh, so much a victory that we forget there has to be the pressing onward and there has to be other ground taken. There has to be new victories uh, that are won. And the pillar of cloud now was to move forward. And Moses gets Israel back on the road again. This is the first time we read of them being in the wilderness. Oh, the Lord had said to Moses uh, way back when he met with them that they were to come to Mount Horeb. But to get to Mount Horeb, they've got to go through the wilderness. Indeed, the Scriptures speak to us of five wilderness areas that Israel would go through. There's this one. It's termed here the wilderness of Shur. And there then would be the wilderness of Sin. Which is close, closer to Horeb. Then there was the wilderness of Sinai. And then there was the wilderness of Paran, that great and terrible wilderness that was north east of the Mount of Horeb. And finally there was the wilderness of Zin. Z-I-N and that was close to the southern edge of the land of Canaan. Five different wilderness areas. And it has to be understood, of course. That these were invariably difficult areas to not only journey through, but also to live in. And the nations soon realize that more than ever when they embark on their journey, even after the Red Sea. But what a sudden change has to take place and was to take place. Their song has now disappeared. The sunshine of life, it seems to be hidden behind a dark cloud. And the mood in the camp has changed. But lest we would be quick and pointing the finger at the nation of Israel, I suggest that we ourselves all too often are just like them. When a crisis arises in our life, what's the course of action that we take? It may look very like what we're reading about here in the closing verses of this chapter in Exodus 15. But I want us to consider these words, for it shows how a better experience can be made sweet. Whatever you might term within that better experience in your life, or personally, it can be made sweet. And there's three simple thoughts that even the children will understand. The first one is the trial. And we don't have to leave verse 22 before we understand something of that trial that they were to f- uh, face. The direction that they took here explains much of it. The direction. Because the journey that they had embarked upon was an obedience. They were following the cloudy pillar. They were, they're not going in a different direction to what God had instructed them or wanted them to be in. The Lord God could have brought them by the uh, way of the Philistines. But He knew. He understood Israel. He knew that that would be uh, brought into areas of battle and war and it would be too soon for them and there would be the yearning to get back, to, to turn back so quickly, back into the land of Egypt. And so He didn't take them that way. He didn't take them the shortest route. And isn't that so like the Christian life? Sometimes the Lord doesn't bring us the, the shortcut. And so it was with Israel. Because Moses here was leading them in, in the way in which they were to go, notwithstanding they were still to face the trial. Men and women, obedience to the Lord is no exemption from trials and afflictions. You just consider what the psalmist says in Psalm 34, that psalm that we sang earlier on, and the words of verse 19. It simply says this, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. That's not a misprint. You you might think that that should read many are the afflictions of the wicked. No, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivereth them out on them all. The field of duty is often that which becomes the field of danger. And the way from earth to glory is often permitted to be beset with temptations, with trials, and with afflictions and difficulties which are beyond our human strength to ever overcome. Just because, child of God, you experience troubles and trials doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. Remember that. Think of the disciples who are commanded by the Lord to get into the boat and to go to the other side of the lake. And it was while they were in the boat, the Savior is on the mountain praying, it was while they were there that the storm arose and great fear came upon those men. They were in the will of God. But they were still in the trial. And the answer for the trouble and the answer for the trial is Christ, who came walking to them upon the water. These trials are often permitted to help us to grow strong in the Lord. We learn more about the Savior. We learn more about God in times of difficulty than we do when all is fair. Listen, it's better to be in the path with troubles than to be on the path of disobedience without them. Obedience is the best direction because it secures the help of the Lord. Maybe you're facing a trial or trouble today and it is because of disobedience. That's a different story altogether. You're out of the will of God. You must seek to be back in the will of God again. But here's Israel and the direction that they took was in obedience. I want you to consider the wilderness it accurately portrays the world for the believer. Drought and bitterness, barrenness are all that we can expect in a place that knows not Christ. God doesn't mean us to settle down and to be content in a world that hates and rejects Christ. Learn from this on our own Christian pathway, that we ought at the very least to expect trials and tribulation. We ought to expect dearth. Let's not have a wrong view of what the wilderness is. But not only do you see the direction, but the deficiency can be noted in these words in verse 22. What was the trial? They found no water. That's it. That's no small matter Because it concerns millions of people, remember. And don't forget that they had the large livestocks that were also in front of them and and behind them that they were bringing with them. Water is necessary at the best of times. You can go longer without food than you can without water. It's a common commodity that we take for granted in the western world. But water is absolutely necessary, never mind in the blazing wilderness. But we might say that God permitted this trial to be a great one so that He might be more abundantly magnify His own great power and mercy in their deliverance. And so it is with us. It is in the large difficulties that we often see the largeness of God's mercy and the largeness of His grace and His help. What didn't help here either was the fact that there's only three days. It's only three days since they left the Red Sea. Only three days since they were engaged in that song of Moses. The celebrations are scarcely silent over one trial, than the next one is now to be faced. And there are times in life's journey that it seems just like that. The Savior reminded His disciples, in this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Am I preaching to someone this morning and you're going through a trial? It just seems one after another. Here's a portion of Scripture for you. you see there's a deception in this trial. Look at verse twenty-three. It says, "And when they came to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Mara. When they came to that place, they believed that here was their answer to their trial." In verse twenty-two, they found no water. Now they come a little further to Mara, but when they found water, it deceived them. It couldn't be drunk. The water was defiled. It was too bitter. And hence they call that place Mara because that's what it means. Do you remember, if you go a little further in the Scriptures, that was the name that Naomi suggested that she should be called by her neighbors. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Pleasantness. Call me Mara. She had lost, you see, her delight being in the land of Moab. And she had tasted of bitterness. Elimelech and her had gone out of the will of God. They shouldn't have left Bethlehem Judah in a time of famine, to go to the land of Moab. Is that not a lesson as to what sin brings to the believer? Sin seems so promising. It promises to the flesh pleasure, but not long after it proves to deceive, for it only leaves bitterness as the dominant emotion. That marriage that looked so attractive, even though it was outside the will of God, bitterness will be the end result. That lucrative job offer, which however includes working on the Lord's day and keeping you from the house and the worship of God, it looks attractive. But sooner rather than later, it will prove to be a better experience. Israel thought they had water. But it deceived them. It would have been better had there been no water at all. Be in your guard, men and women, against the enticements of the devil that will only deceive. Don't be fooled into going back to the broken cisterns of the world, for they will feel for having tasted of the Lord, having seen that He is good, having found the Savior. The waters of this old world do no longer satisfy the child of God. They have that bitter taste about. water that you need dear loved one is that which the Savior alone can give from the fresh wells of salvation. The water that is everlasting. The water he said from which you will never thirst. That's why the backsliders, is the most miserable person in this world. Because they've tasted They've seen that the Lord is good. They've been saved. They've been going on with God. But now he finds them trying the old broken cisterns. And it doesn't satisfy any longer. It's Christ you need to get back to. Not only this is the trial, but you'll notice also the tendency. The people find themselves in such a trial with a great problem. What did they do? What, what should they have done? They should have sought the Lord in prayer. They should have gotten bended knee and cried out unto God to help them in this time of need. But so often the tendency instead of praying is to murmur. And that's what the people were guilty of. That's what they were led to do in verse 34. And the people murmured against Moses saying, What shall we drink? That's not just something that's true of the Jewish nation by the way. But look at these people and you see a true reflection of human nature. They murmured and they complained and they found fault. And you'll notice that they don't murmur of God. They're not honest enough to do that, but rather they murmur at Moses, God's servant. Moses was the easiest target for their complaining and so they direct the murmuring spirit at him. If only they had realized that God was overruling in all things and that this was a test to them as they had come out of Egypt. We know that from the end of verse 25. It says it was here at Marah that God was to prove them. This was a fortiest of the trials and disappointments which would lie ahead as they made their journey through those wilderness areas. Dear child of God, when the sore trials, when the testings come against you, then the old nature may be prone to blame and point the finger and murmur. But stand back. Take a moment to ask yourself, is the Lord's hand in this? Is the Lord's hand in this trial? Is He allowing this trial to happen maybe because of as a chastening rod? You turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. I think it's worth reminding yourself of this great truth. Hebrews chapter 12, I beg your pardon, in the words of verse 6, simply says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Remember, Paul's writing to the people of God. He says if you endure chastening God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he of whom the father chasteneth not? Oh you know the world has a different view and all of that. yeah. And the world today would say Hope oh, we don't chasten the children. But parent... We don't go by the world, we go by the Word. And if we love our children, we have to do this at times, in love. Look at the words of verse 10. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. That's the earthly father. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. We never liked it when our fathers chastened or our mothers chastened us. I never used to like the wee stick coming down from the top of the cupboard. Or maybe it was a ruler in your house, or something else. You didn't burst out in laughter. grievous, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Look upon it as discipline. And there's maybe times we have to look at the trial or difficulty and ask ourselves, is this a chastening rod of the Lord? To bring us back to himself. To correct us. Because he loves us. It's not always the case, of course. Israel were chastened. Israel had trials to strengthen them. They might grow in the Lord. But how the old nature can rule at times in the heart. And here were a people who had received so much from the hand of God. They had known that great salvation on the night of the Passover. And they were sheltering neath the blood when the firstborn were dying in every Egyptian house. How they had known the Lord's deliverance bringing them across the Red Sea. They had seen their pursuing enemies drowned in the depths. And would one think that having faced such a trial that they would have done without the rebellious and the murmuring spirit now, who would have thought that just three days later they would forget His mercies? They would indulge in the murmuring. You see, the tendency is to murmur and complain rather than pray. The tendency is to be fearful rather than to have faith. They feared lest they would die for want of water. That's why they come to Moses in those words and they ask the question, what shall we drink? They feared because there was no water for them to drink and that fear was an outworking of unbelief and a lack of faith in God. They were These people who had just witnessed the powerful hand of God at work in dividing the waters of the Red Sea. Yet three days later, They're found asking, what shall we drink? In other words, by what means can God supply the lack of water? Was Mara's water more difficult to purify than to divide the great waters of the Red Sea? Oh, three days ago they had thought, there's too much water! Three days later, there's no water now. But men and women, the God... Of the Red Sea was the same God as Mara. And the question ought to be asked, is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything. So often our faith is so weak that we can complain right on the heels of great blessing. doesn't seem to matter how great the help of God was in the past. Oh, we complain in a trial as if we had never known any help from God. If they had only but considered what God had already done in their lives, then they wouldn't have fallen into a state of unbelief and lack of faith. The God who wrought a miracle in Egypt and at the Red Sea was the same God who could do a miracle at, at Mara. They murmured. They complained. They had unbelief. Do you see, Moses was different. For Moses prayed. Verse 25. And he cried unto the Lord. That's all we need to read. He cried unto the Lord. The response of Moses wasn't to start complaining. It wasn't to start reviling when he was reviled. He met the trial the right way by crying unto God. He recognized that his help and the help of the nation was in the Lord. He took the matter to God in prayer. That is what our maras are for, is to drive us to the Lord. Even though Israel failed to rely on the Lord, even though Israel, instead of praying, they murmured, yet God came to their relief. Do you ever ask yourself, on what ground does the Lord answer His erring people? I think you see it in our text. It's in response to an interceding mediator. that God acted. Moses is one who stands in between. He stands in between a holy God and an erring, unbelieving people. In verse 25, he cried unto the Lord. And praise his name, there's one who's the only mediator. He's able to stand between a, a just and a holy God and a sinful people and that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He ever lives to make intercession for us. And on that ground, the ground of Christ's finished atoning work at the cross, the ground of His interceding ministry that continues in heaven, God deals tenderly with us as we pass through the wilderness of this world. So don't fall into the tendency of the children of Israel. But rather take the example of Moses when the trial comes. And approach your intercessory, high priest, even Christ. There's one final little thought here. That's a tree? Moses knew the power of God. He had trusted in his faithfulness to make his promises good. His ear wasn't heavy that it couldn't hear. His arm wasn't shortened that it could not see. If God was to answer his prayer, and you'll notice that the answer lay close at hand. There's the revelation. Verse 25, cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. The tree had been there all the time. But Moses didn't see it until God revealed it to him. He didn't know the value of it until God showed him. Remember Hagar back in the book of Genesis? Hagar was in the wilderness ready to die when God revealed to her the well of water. We read in Genesis 21 and the words of verse 19, And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. God opened her eyes. God opened the eyes of the young man that was with Elisha to see and to show them that there was more with them than there was with the enemy. For every trial along the Christian pathway, there's a remedy which God has already provided. And you know, dear people, often it is near at hand. Let me just illustrate that to the boys and girls. You see, boys and girls, when you're out running about in the summertime and you get stung, well, just stop and look where that nettle is and the chances are you'll find a ducking leaf. The darkened leaf is taken and it's applied to the sting and it'll reduce that sting. It's near at hand. And God's remedy for the bitter waters of Mara was close at hand. God showed him a tree. Sometimes, you know, we have poor eyesight. I'm not talking about physical eyesight. But we have poor spiritual eyesight that we cannot see the remedy. For every affliction, there's a promise found in God's Word. There's a promise that just is detailed for the need. It meets the need. There's a place where all burdens can be rolled away. Thank God it's a tree. Oh, that the Lord by His grace would show you the tree. For of yourself you'll never see it. So there's a revelation. But you know, look at verse 25 again because there's an application. It's not enough to know about the tree. Moses, the Lord showed him a tree which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. The tree had to be applied to the bitter waters. The tree had to be felled into those waters. And when it was, the bitter waters were going to be made sweet. And here's the first reference, by the way, to healing in the Scriptures. And God chooses to use a means for the healing of His people. That's directly in in contradiction to what the charismatic message and the Pentecostal, in some cases, message, the modern-day healing message is today, where they would say to the people of God, you know, you shouldn't be sick. And if you're sick, then you're unbelieving. You have enough faith. And you don't need a doctor. Well, the first case of healing in the Bible, God uses a means. And God does give wisdom to doctors and surgeons to do their job. And we're thankful for them. He uses a means. And the remedy for the healing of Mara's bitter waters was a very strange one. How could a tree overcome the bitterness and make the waters sweet? Nothing short of a miracle by the power of God. For it says in verse 25 that the waters were made sweet. The power was in the tree that God showed unto Moses. God's plan meant the tree had to be cut down. Humbling process and experience. But all was necessary to fulfill God's plan. And to bring healing and to bring blessing to a dying people. What a glorious truth. What a glorious type the Lord was teaching his people that day. Of the only remedy for sin. The only remedy for waywardness. The only remedy for coldness of heart. That bitter taste that is left in the mouth of the child of God who's back in the world. You see, the tree surely signifies the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's often presented in the Scriptures even under such a figure. You read Psalm 1, he's the blessed man he's likened to the tree that is planted by the rivers of water. Whose leaves shall not wither. Read Psalm 1 and think of Christ. For he is the blessed man. What about the song of Solomon? Chapter 2. Let me read chapter 2 verse 3 to you. And it says this. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. There is the beloved. And he's likened to the apple tree above all the trees. Same analogy. Read the Song of Solomon. Don't merely think of a shepherd king. Think of Christ and His love for the church, His bride. Dear people, sit down at His feet. And when you do so, dear loved one, you'll find that His fruit sweet to your taste. You'll find that His words are sweeter than the honeycomb. The person of Christ is often depicted in the same analogy. But the tree speaks to us surely of the cross of Christ. And we sung about that even in that hymn that we've been singing. He bore our sins on the tree. Galatians chapter 3 Just to give you a couple of verses and the words of verse 13. It says there, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is every one that hangeth. On a tree. Peter speaks about it as well. First Peter chapter 3 in the words of verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. It is the cross that makes us, makes what is naturally bitter to us sweet. It's only at Calvary where the great bitterness of sin is removed. And instead, has experienced the wonderful sweetness of eternal life in Christ. But, men and woman, young person, it must be personally applied to your heart by faith. Just as this tree had to be cast into the waters so that those waters were made sweet, it's not enough to know about Christ. It's not enough to know about the tree of Calvary. It must be savingly applied by faith. There's the revelation. There's the application. And you notice also, there's the identification. For it was only after the tree had been cast into the waters that the miracle was wrought and the word of God was heard. Look at the words of verse 26. He said, If I will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. The message that Israel heard was of their responsibilities. Oh yes, they would have privileges. And they would a privilege in seeing the waters now that were bitter made sweet to their taste. And God met them at the very point of their need. But there were responsibilities. They had to obey the commandments of God. And they were to walk in His statutes. And if they wanted to continue to know God's blessing, then they would be obedient unto the Lord. You see, the best way to obtain and enjoy the privileges is to be obedient to our responsibilities. And the Lord identifies Himself. He identifies Himself with Israel by revealing a new name to them. He said, for I am the Lord. You can write Jehovah there. I am Jehovah that healeth thee. It's Jehovah Rapha. The Lord that healeth thee. There's some of those other titles. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. Jehovah Sinken, you Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee. It's a word that appears many times in the Old Testament. It means to cure or to heal. You see, it discloses more of the character of God. And I simply ask in closing, have you known his healing of soul? It's not merely about the physical. He's the one that can heal your soul. He identified with us when He grew up as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground, Isaiah tells us. For the Savior came to this earth that one day upon Golgotha's middle tree He'd be cut down so that through him there would be healing for all nations, Jew and Gentile alike. My friend, I would that you would get to the cross, that you would get to the tree this morning and by faith see Christ and seek him. If you haven't already done so. For the healing of your sin sick soul. Praise God. He's still Jehovah Rapha. He still can heal you. The Lord bless his word. Even to your heart this morning. And the bitterness of your sinful life. Thank God can be made sweet in Christ. for He's the one that can Pardon and cleanse you from all sin. Let's sing 431 in closing. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. I was at the house of this author, William Williams, way down in South Wales, Home place is still there, still in the same generation. They have this etched upon their front door. Guide me, O thy great Jehovah. Let's sing it. let watch the words as we do so. 431. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We praise Thee, Lord, that Thou dost give the needed grace through the trials. We thank Thee, Lord, Thou art one that hears and answers prayer and does able to meet us at the point of our very need. And, O God, we pray that Thou, the great Jehovah Rapha, might even, Lord, guide us through this wilderness of this world. And, Lord, that Thou would heal some sick soul this morning. One who has not yet tasted and seen that the Lord is good. O God, bring them to the foot of the old tree. By faith, may they see Christ as I've never seen Him before. Lord, I pray that Thou would give that needed grace for them to call upon the Savior to save them. Speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Part us with Thy blessing. Bless us this Sabbath. Again, Lord, bless us tonight in thy house. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.